0: Hi everyone, welcome to Under Further Review with Burke and Jen, episode 45. I'm Burke. I'm Jen. And uh, I know it's been a long time, so uh, thank you for hanging in there with us, and we're excited to be back with you. Um, So, over the past couple of weeks, there's a lot of um, sports and celebrity legal news going on, so I think we want to dive. Right in with um, a discussion about a new law that was just passed um, just a couple days ago that eliminates minimum wage protections for minor league baseball players.
1: Yes, so included in the $1.3 trillion spending bill that um, Trump signed into law that was passed by both houses of Congress, um, it includes an exemption for minor league baseball to pay their players basically federal minimum wage. So minor league baseball players make as little as $1,100 per month. Um, And major league baseball lobbied for this exemption. Um, They said basically, like, you can't possibly calculate um, wages properly for, you know, if you're watching like game film or extra batting practice and... I'm just like, yeah, you can. Like, you know the hours that you're there, and if you're suffering or permitting someone to work by watching game film or whatever, like, that's not that hard to do.
0: Also, not for nothing, but to get these people declared as exempt employees who were not subject to overtime regulations, um, particularly with the rollback of the Obama um modifications to the labor rules which I think would have brought the minimum wage threshold for that qualification from um up to I think it was $51,000 something like that yeah um you don't have to pay them all that much and then you avoid the largely not entirely but I think you could then avoid the issue of having to worry about really tracking their work time which mm-hmm. is apparently so goddamn difficult for these <laughs> teams um and yeah, and the the that wage threshold for exempt status is not getting raised, um, at least for the time being. Yeah. So it's even lower. This is not that hard. It really seems like this is a. I hesitate to use the word discriminatory because being a minor league baseball player is not a uh, protected, protected sta- status. Sure yeah. Um, but still, I mean, this is so targeted for a now minor league teams probably don't make a ton of money, but most of them are funded by their major Major league league. affiliates. Mm -hmm. So, like, this is a billion-dollar industry where you're screwing over some of the lowest-paid people in the industry. It just seems terrible and unfair. And without justification, like, I don't... Their rationale for needing this elimination of this protection is falling very flat with me.
1: Yes, well, especially when, um, you know, you're saying that people who who work at Walmart or other giant corporations in America make federal minimum wage. Right. And you're saying that, like, minor league baseball, again, who's backed by major league baseball, Mm -hmm. can't get it together to figure out how to pay someone $7.25 an hour? Yeah. Like, that's ridiculous. So, um... Minor league baseball players, as I said at the beginning, make as little as $1,100 per month and up to $2,100 during the season, which can be as long as like three months. So even breaking down the $1,100 per month, it's super sad. Uh, Assuming a 40-hour work week, which I'm sure they work way more than that, um, that comes out to $6.88 an hour. Yeah, pay everybody two grand a month.
0: -hmm. This is this is not that difficult.
1: Yeah, the FLSA uh, salary threshold for exempt uh, versus non-exempt is forty-seven thousand four hundred and seventy-six
0: dollars, so a little over two grand a month. Yeah, Um, and I've not researched. I've I've looked at the other tests for um, defining exempt status, not in the context of baseball players, but I have to believe that they're they could find themselves qualified as a professional employee who's not subject to overtime rules, uh, which I think that's what those the complications you're talking about speak to. It's the idea of like, when do they hit their 40 hours a week? And when do we need to start paying them time and a half? Um, but if you're not paying them time and a half, if they're exempt employees, then who who cares about how much, how well you track their mm-hmm. hours? I suppose... Except that you can make an argument that if they're actually working eighty hours a week and you're only paying them as if they work forty, then they're not really making minimum wage. But um, yeah, but I mean,
1: I just don't understand like how difficult it is to track because even if they're you all have, together, right? Yeah, they're all together. You come in, you do BP, you like shag balls in the outfield. You either stick around for a game or you don't. I mean, I guess there's like the travel time, but like there are other industries that deal with this too. It's not just them, like traveling salespeople. Like, how do they clock their travel time? It's so this is not of a such a unique situation that it's impossible for them to be like, oh, no, these are the hours that you work for a week.
0: Right. And I also wonder why it is. So both the NBA and the NHL have minor league teams um, in the United States. They must have the same issue in terms of, like, work time versus not work time mm-hmm. and having to pay all this money except – this particular act is aimed at baseball players. yeah, um, it's referred to as the Save America's pastime Act.
1: <laughs> you can save America's pastime by making games
0: not so frickin' long seriously. <laughs> um, so yeah the the actual law um, exempts from minimum wage um, any quote any employee employed to play baseball who is compensated pursuant to a contract that provides for a weekly salary for services performed during the league's championship season, but not spring training or the off season at a rate that is not less than a weekly salary equal to the minimum wage for a work week of 40 hours, irrespective of the number number of hours the employee devotes to baseball related activities. Um, And apparently... According to a lawyer for minor league baseball players, this did not go through a regular committee process. Shocking with the current Congress. um, And it was all done in a very secret and rushed manner. Um, Major League Baseball spent $1.32 million on lobbying expenses over the past two full calendar years, Mm -hmm. which is up from $330,000 in 2015. Uh, Take that money, pay your players. Yeah, seriously. (laughs) I mean, this is not... This is just a shame. I mean, I I don't know. Uh, living in the Bay Area, we have a number of professional teams very close by. When I was growing up, though, um, I used to go to minor league games pretty frequently. It was a super fun activity that mm-hmm. was, um, you know, it was great to be able to go and see these folks who were particularly in like AAA who were pretty close to making it to the majors. Mm -hmm. Um, and it seems like they work quite hard. They should get paid what the freaking law says they should get paid. Like that's what's, I I guess that's what I'm, I'm just, I'm really not understanding why this situation is so unique. And these folks are so special that they don't deserve the same protections that other workers get.
1: Why they, yeah. Why they can't get paid the same wage as a person who stacks shells at Walmart is beyond me. Yeah. Yeah, because even if pay- even if playing sports as a career is a privilege, which I firmly believe that it is, you should still be able to pay your rent and like buy groceries. Yeah, because at six dollars and eighty-eight cents an hour, don't think that you're really doing that. No, you really are not doing that at seven dollars twenty-five cents an hour either. But that's probably a discussion for another day.
0: Right, because some of these, I mean, some of these minor league teams, yeah, are in the middle of nowhere. But mm-hmm. you know, there's a team in Fresno yeah. and Fresno, Sacramento. It's lower cost than San Francisco, but it's not cheap by any stretch. And yeah, Sacramento. Um,
1: There's the San Jose Giants, right? Oh right, yeah. yeah. So many.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, this is this just seems extremely unfair. I mean, extremely it seems unfair and um, it without seems a real really rationale. Yeah. yeah. Who? What minor league baseball player pissed somebody off that? Um, since we do seem to now have a uh, legislature run by pettiness. so it's <laughs> very true. Um, so,
1: I mean, I guess like what the other rationale that Major League Baseball was trying to head off, which they could have headed it off in a different way, is that they're trying to prevent all of the wage and hour suits filed by Minor League Baseball players because mm-hmm. they've been spending so long fighting this in court. I'm like... Well, you know, you could actually just like stop fighting over it if you just paid them the federal minimum wage, right? Right. And over time, when they're eligible for it, but, <sighs> I,
0: yeah, um, uh, it's I still, still, I don't know. It's
1: just it's exasperating, and I'm, and it's really because the rationale behind why they want this is so flimsy.
0: Well. Yes, they should and just come out
1: and say, like, no, we just don't feel like paying them that much. We don't think they're worth it. <laughs> and what's crazy
0: is apparently this this language started um, this the language that showed up in the spending bill was based on a piece of legislation that had bipartisan support, of course. Mm-hmm. Fucking hell, <laughs> uh, by uh, Republican Representative. Brett Guthrie of Kentucky and Democratic representative Sherry Bustos of Illinois, their argument was that um, these teams needed the exemption for minimum wage laws because without it they would have to make cuts to I don't know their their the number of teams in the league or the players who are on the teams and that could harm the economies of the cities in which these teams are based. That's the that's the rationale for that argument I I well, I don't even know what to say there you have cities that make stupid decisions to fund you know municipal uh, stadiums with no way to pay for them and yet you're gonna say that we need to fix that on the backs of the players who are playing this game um, we can't pay the minimum wage I sound like a union rep right now <laughs> but
1: which is not necessarily a bad thing all the time. No. But it's just interesting to me that like, their argument is... That's their argument. Because that's an argument that we hear living in San Francisco because the living wage in San Francisco is much higher than the federal minimum wage. Yeah. The minimum wage in the state of California is $11 an hour and is slated to go up over the next couple of years. The federal minimum wage has been $7.25 since 2009. It's crazy. So it's not like... It's not like it's a huge jump from what they're getting now, which is $6.88 an hour, to $7.25 to tell me that you're cutting teams and going to decimate cities over a $0.50, cent, less than $0.50 cent increase.
0: Right. Is- maybe there's a problem with your business model yeah. also. Like if that's <laughs> if that's the result, mm-hmm. then maybe you need to rethink how you run your business. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I uh, the living wages... So I don't know how it is in the rest of the country, but cities in the Bay Area will set their own living wage that is typically a bit higher than even the state minimum wage. I know for a city of Oakland in 2017, I think, the living wage, if you were a person who got medical benefits through your employer, was less than $13 an hour. I truly have no idea how the hell you live in the city of Oakland making less than $13 an hour. Um, I'm not sure off the top of my head where it is in San Francisco, but like this is not, these are not wages that people can afford to live what you'd think of as a typical middle class um, life on. Mm-hmm. You could not support a family, I don't imagine, on uh, this so-called living wage. Um, but at least I don't know, hell of a lot better than $6.88 an hour, or so.
1: Yeah, the living wage in San Francisco is $19.63. Oh wow. Yeah, for one adult.
0: Is that from the MIT no, wage calculator? No, that's actually calculator? from, that's the, from the, Sanf- City?
1: the city's wage calculator. Uh, um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's, it is mind-boggling to me that you can't pony up the extra 45 cents or whatever, actually less than 45 cents to an hour to pay um, these players. And I can't even imagine that they're really in the minor league for that long. Right. I mean, I can't
0: like. I think there are some folks who are, you know, lifers, lifers. like the people in Bull Durham. But yes, <laughs>
1: but we're not we're not talking about your living. You're doing. I mean, you should get out if you've been playing for like ten, fifteen, twenty years yeah. in the minor leagues. You should probably decide to do something else with your life at that point. but sure. Still, this isn't like you're not doing this because you're trying to get rich, right? Right.
0: You're. It's a it's a lily pad. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I wonder. So, all right, as a basic premise. Federal law preempts state law. Mm -hmm. But what about, I'd be interested to see, because in a lot of states, particularly California, I'm thinking of, like the state has made a decision to uh, provide a better benefit in terms Mm -hmm. of wage to its workers than the federal law has. I'm assuming California is SOL um, and won't be able to enforce its minimum wage laws against the teams here because federal law now says that they don't have to but the law was pretty clear that it only uh, only yeah. exempts them from federal minimum wage requirements it didn't state. try and speak to the states because they you know arguably can't um, but I'd be interested to see how that plays out if anyone tries to make the argument that the feds can do whatever they want to but in states where there's a decision to do better than the federal law yeah um, can we still enforce that? Probably be- not. I'm assuming there's some preemption argument that I'm just not thinking through all the way, but
1: um. no yeah that, I mean I think that would be pretty interesting though to, to figure that out. or if you are a team that travels you know to different states to play, right right And would you get paid different wages if you go to different states? Hmm. Okay yeah. All right, so uh, that was um, basically our government trying to shaft
0: minor league baseball players. <laughs> Welcome to welcome to the world, baseball players.
1: <laughs> yeah, so moving on to um, other people who are getting shafted, I guess, is I don't really know a good uh, entry point for this. But um, are we talking about Jonathan Martin first?
0: I thought we were talking about Michael Bennett first. You can talk
1: about Michael Bennett first. Go All
0: on. right, so Michael Bennett, new um, Philadelphia Eagles player, has been charged with felony assaults um, for an incident that occurred at the uh, last year's Super Bowl That's in the Houston. Super Bowl in 2017. Yes. Not the one that happened two months ago or a month ago. Thank you. The one <laughs> in which his brother, Martellus Bennett, was a member of the triumphant <laughs> New England Patriots. Um, so Michael Bennett was uh, at the game supporting his brother. And uh, according to Houston police, while trying to get onto the field for celebrations, he like beat up some disabled old lady who was a part of the security crew, which raises a lot of questions for me. I think it was shoving her. I don't think he beat her up. He shoved her. Sure. Sorry. I'm being a little hyperbolic because this case is so... Goddamn ridiculous. No, it is
1: ridiculous, but yes. there's is no allegation he, that
0: he beat her up. He just he shoved her. Well, and, and she was injured. I couldn't tell because in some reports she's in a wheelchair, and other reports she's not. Which is why I want to know what the hell she was doing. In the security. So she
1: is program. a 66 year old woman okay. who is a paraplegic, <laughs> and she is in a wheelchair. She is part of the security crew, but I'm assuming that's just like the bunch of people who sort of line the field to just like sort of. <laughs> Stand or sit there, sure. you know.
0: I'm being really ableist yes. here. <laughs> Sorry, I should not be so judgmental. I'm angry at the police, not at her. <laughs> and uh, she was shoved and she
1: sprained her shoulder. And as a person in a wheelchair, I'm sure having your shoulders work is kind of a big deal, but... How hard did he shove her? I'm like, I really don't
0: sure. know. i <laughs> th- plaintiffs, I don't know. <laughs> sure. All of this is to say, though, that it's been 14 months since this incident. Michael Bennett has been a very vocal um, uh, critic of police brutality uh, over the past 14 months, um, the give or take. And uh, so the timing of this is a bit suspicious. Allegedly, the the assault, I'm using air quotes there, um, was caught on video, except no one can locate the video. And so they're basing these charges off of the recollection of a police officer who uh, didn't For whatever reason, chose not to do anything about the whole situation. At um, the time. At the time. And you've got Chief Art Acevedo, who had actually um, I I thought had been pretty kind of forward thinking about the way that um, he and his police officers interact with their community. But he's now on uh, out in the media saying like, if I see Michael Bennett on the street, I'm going to arrest him. And we haven't we weren't able to find him. It was chaos on the on the field, so we couldn't arrest him then. Which. When you see photo evidence of Michael Bennett literally standing by himself yes. on the field, it indicates this is all uh, some kind of bullshit.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, I don't disagree that it's some kind of bullshit. I just, I do have, I have so many questions. Like, why well, now?
0: Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I I bet I can figure well, out no, why I now. Mean, but I, yes, I mean,
1: yes, I understand the why now from your perspective <laughs> and the perspective of a lot of people, but I just... To me and it's a serious charge even so the, the statute that he's been charged with is like texas penal code section 22.04 mm-hmm. and it's basically it imposes a heightened punishment for injuring a child an elderly individual or a disabled individual now the person that hey, he did injure both was elderly. both elderly and disabled and it didn't. He didn't have to have the intent to injure somebody doing it. Wow. So even if he just shoved her because someone like pushed him from behind, he could still see like between two and ten years in jail because his intent is not relevant here. I mean, it's he is.
0: That law seems problematic <laughs> as I'm sitting here listening to you talk, but so
1: he can <laughs> actually get more time if he did intend to do it, but if he didn't intend to do it, it's yeah. still criminally negligent according to the penal code. So yeah, two to ten years.
0: He go to jail for ten years for accidentally bumping into somebody and hurting them.
1: Yes. So um, so it so not only is it heightened because of the special like class status, yeah, of the of special status of the the injured party, person. but then the, the level of injury also um, can heighten it. So since this, the sprained shoulder, I don't know, like the district attorney could argue that because it's a sprained shoulder, but for someone who only can use their shoulders to propel themselves, that's a more significant injury than if you sprain somebody's shoulder who can walk. Because sure. Because they, they
0: can yeah. get around without exactly. using their arms. Mm-hmm.
1: So... I, it's crazy. It's just
0: crazy. How hard could he possibly have pushed her to sprain her shoulder? I don't know. I feel like your shoulders are pretty resilient. Like well, it's, but it's.
1: I think it's the idea that, like, where's the video? I mean, there's must have right. been, like, a billion cameras on that field at the time.
0: How there's no video. He is a, uh, a recognizable mm-hmm. person. This isn't just, like, some scrub who nobody knows yeah. who he is. There are plenty of pictures of him from the field that night. Mm-hmm.
1: And, like, his sister took video. Yeah. Yeah. So it was a grand jury who decided to move forward with, um, indictment. Okay. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just giving you you the
0: information.
1: (laughs) I'm not rendering judgment. I'm just.
0: I'm rendering judgment. This stinks. There's something wrong here. (laughs) (laughs) Um, well, it'll be... I don't know that I've seen a response from Michael Bennett about this. Uh, he said... Or that, did I just miss it? <laughs> uh,
1: he said that he would turn himself in because um, he lives in Hawaii, so like, as soon as he hits oh. the mainland, he's going to turn himself in um, and then just probably try
0: to figure it out. Right. This is the um, second sort of... Recent incident between Michael Bennett and the police, which uh, Bennett had been a uh, supporter of Colin Kaepernick's, had taken a knee throughout the season, and was arrested in Las Vegas, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, Seemingly with not a lot of justification and was arrested in a rather aggressive manner earlier, I guess in 2017, and came out um, with, again, pretty harsh criticism of the police in that situation. Um, so, with all of that in mind, it does, I guess to me, the fact that there's no video, in spite of this being one of the most photographed and filmed events of the year, mm-hmm. um, that at least according to the publicly sh- disclosed information, you know, we we're taking the word of some random police officer who didn't do anything about it at the time that he mm-hmm. witnessed this terrible assault of a disabled elderly woman. Um, at just, and the fact that Michael Bennett is a uh, very vocal critic of, of the police, um, makes this whole thing seem awfully suspicious to me, but, uh, I guess we will see if it actually, if it goes to a, a jury of Mr. Bennett's peers in a public trial, um, what the what evidence the prosecutor has and yeah. how this um, is going to play out, but at least based on what we know now, it seems really suspicious.
1: I'm I'm more struck by the fact that like the um, the, the sheriff or the chief of police,
0: chief uh, chief. chief Acevedo, yeah, yeah. chief.
1: that he had such harsh words for Bennett. Yeah, like it seemed really disproportionate to what happened. Um, So the woman uh, who was injured, allegedly, Mm -hmm. um, she's a 66-year-old paraplegic woman, 65, at the time of the incident. Too bad she wasn't 64. Um, (laughs) She wouldn't have qualified as elderly, whom Bennett allegedly shoved and caused bodily harm. She is paralyzed from the mid-chest and rides a wheelchair weighing approximately 800 pounds. So maybe it was like, I don't know, if she fell over fell over but see
0: even if she, I mean, fell, if she o- fell over she would be dead wouldn't the I mean, wheelchair
1: have crushed her i mean yeah i mean if she fell over i would imagine that the cop that was standing nearby would have you know done something about
0: it well he that i guess is what seems particularly strange to me is that if a police officer observes a um well observes anybody being assaulted like what the fuck was he doing why didn't he arrest him then or you know step in somehow um i yeah i just the whole thing it just it stinks i've realized i've repeated myself um a number of times but i agree with you to your point about the chief seeming to have a real overreaction to this whole situation I don't know, people get shoved around all the time. It's not great. It's not how we should be proceeding in civil society. But, like, even assuming he did what they say he did, why is the police chief, you know, screaming and yelling about how he's going to arrest him on sight?
1: Yeah. Or just, yeah, or threatening him, you know, like, doing a lot of chest pounding over this. It just no. doesn't make any sense. It really doesn't make any sense. No, and
0: I think I will say, not that this incident has anything to do with sports, but... Um, these comments stand in stark contrast to the way that the police chief of Austin, um, where I believe Chief Acevedo used to work, um, spoke about the uh, the serial bomber who killed a bunch of people and injured a bunch of folks in Austin, um, largely people of color, uh, and talking about how he's just a challenged kid who was really struggling and, oh, he didn't hate anybody, he was just depressed and troubled. Um, to have that reaction, and I know there are two different people talking, but to um, in such a short f- kind of time frame, both kind of geographically close to one another, to have you know uh, a police force talking about a, a domestic terrorist in such glowing terms, and then um, you know talking about a pretty well-respected football player who—it's
1: like a public menace. I mean, yeah, that's basically, it's, what we painted him as—it's
0: pretty ridiculous. Um, so all of that being said, you know, to the extent Michael Bennett really did shove this woman and injure her. And that is despite his lack of intent, um, that's a violation of Texas law. He will have to answer for that. And, uh, it sounds like he's prepared to defend himself. So, but
1: but, I mean, just the inflammatory nature of the comments that were made just seem really just disproportionate, as I've said. And
0: well, and how does he get a fair, tr- I mean, this is a topic that often comes up usually in more um, heinous crimes, but you yeah, know, when you exactly. have p- law enforcement um, or you know, district attorney's making really inflammatory public statements a lot Mm -hmm. of times that's why they won't do that yeah uh, because it It becomes challenging to seat a jury Mm -hmm. um or to ensure that someone's going to get a fair trial so um i don't i don't know what chief acevedo was thinking but um
1: yeah i don't know uh they did say or at least according to an article I read, mm-hmm. that part of the reason why this took so long to come um, to light, or at least have the charge, is that they were busy with uh, Hurricane Harvey. I mean... Which, yeah, okay. That but. still doesn't
0: explain why the police officer who witnessed this didn't arrest Michael Bennett for assault then and there. Yeah,
1: he didn't file his police report until May 2017, which is
0: four months after the Super Bowl. And buff. For Hurricane
1: Harvey, I think. Yeah, but they're saying that, like, so he submitted his report to the major assault unit and that took time for the investigation.
0: That seems weird, but okay.
1: Yeah. So, uh, as we were saying at the beginning of that, uh, Michael Bennett is now a member of the, like, championship Philadelphia Eagles.
0: And his brother, just Martellus, just retired from the uh, six-time champion <laughs> New England Patriots uh, to go be like make movies and do creative things. So uh, he's a real fun Instagram follow. But Martellus is not what we're talking about now. Michael playing for the Eagles, which brings <laughs> us to our next big story of the week: um, rapper Meek Mill and his uh, seemingly. I don't know what the word I want to use to describe his most recent prison sentences is. Dis- I guess disproportionate. it's kind of the theme of the day yes. <laughs> disproportionate to his offense. Um, Meek Mill the Meek Mill's connection to Philadelphia and the reason we we're trying to draw that in artful segue um, <laughs> Doing is a bad
1: job yeah, this week.
0: Um, he is from Philadelphia and the um, Eagles p- used his music um, to run out t- to the field um, mm-hmm. to there's a lot of prepositions there <coughs> at the Super Bowl, and also played his music in the locker room after they won. Um, and Meek Mill uh, was originally charged and convicted with um, holding a or being in possession of an illegal firearm back when he was like eighteen years old. Yeah,
1: this was like ten years
0: ago or something. Yes, like that. very long time ago. Meek Mill is now um, thirty. And has been on probation ever since he was first convicted of this gun crime. Now, my understanding is that he was in possession of an illegal firearm. He didn't shoot anyone. No one was hurt. It was just a possession issue. Um, nonetheless, this man has been on probation for like 10, 10 years. years. Um, His probation, actually, yeah, it was me. extended, right? Cause right, because like... he got arrested for getting to a fight at the St. Louis airport, maybe. I could be confusing... His uh, alleged crimes. Um,
1: My understanding was when he was originally sentenced, something else happened nearer in time to that that said, okay, your probation is going to be extended. So he's in jail now serving Mm -hmm. between two to four years for violating the terms of his probation. And I think From what I can recall, it's from, like, kind of four-ish incidents where he got into that fight in the airport. Right. He He was was popping wheelies without a helmet on. In New York. (laughs) Um, And then he uh, failed two drug tests or something like that? I believe
0: so. Yeah. So, yeah, the... Incident that I was thinking of that sent him back to jail in the midst of his probation, where it then got extended, was he uh, performed—he wasn't supposed to leave the state state. of Pennsylvania, and he left the state of Pennsylvania in 2014 to perform at a rap show and then was sent back to jail for five months. He said he spent most of his time— in solitary confinement, and when he was finally released, the uh, judge in this case extended, reinstated all of his probation terms, including adding basically five years onto his probationary period.
1: So, um, so the reason why he is back in the news this week because he has been in jail since November of 2017 um, is because the governor of Pennsylvania, Tom Wolf, has yes. come out and said that he shouldn't be in jail. And he backs the district attorney who says, I am not unopposed to releasing him um, on bail.
0: Right. And so Larry Krasner is the uh, sort of recently elected district attorney in Philadelphia. Um, He was elected on kind of a progressive wave in November of 2017. And um, the timing for Meek Mill was... Rather unfortunate because I believe he was resentenced or sentenced to prison in this case very shortly before Krasner yeah, was, was elected. elected. Now, by the time um, Larry Krasner was sworn in, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, also was kind of in the hands of the judge at this point. I'm not sure it would have made that much of a difference, but the timing um, is kind of sad if you are a supporter of Meek Mill um, because uh, Krasner has done quite a bit recently to um, enact pretty progressive policies in uh, Philadelphia, including I think most recently um, he put a moratorium on prosecutions for nonviolent drug crimes. Mm -hmm. Um, So anyway, this is something obviously based on his most recent public statements under his leadership, this office, his office never would have pushed forward with um, sending Mill to jail.
1: Yeah. So, but I think the other main party in this is not, the prosecutor, it's, it's the judge. It's the judge. Yeah. And there's been a lot of like really twisted and weird stuff between um, at least as alleged by Meek Mill's attorneys and his management group about the judge, uh, Judge uh, Janice Brinkley. Um, mm. She has had to hire her own attorney to basically defend her in the press against allegations mm. that she is She tried to inappropriately infiltrate Meek Mill's career and trying to, I don't know if it was extort money from him or like you know essentially like favors in exchange for fame. It's just
0: it's just really weird. She seems to have so the allegation I think is sort of twofold: one that she's taken like a weirdly uh, significant interest in Meek Mill's. Case and his life. According to his attorney, she would show up at his like community service um, when he was supposed to be, you know, engaged in community service. She would mm-hmm. just appear there to make sure he was there. I guess, which does seem like a waste of the judge's time. Um, but I think to the issues that Genevieve was talking about, um, there are allegations that she tried to. Um, Get Meek Mill to drop Rock Nation as his um, record label and sign with a Philadelphia based label. Um, that she tried to insert herself into Meek Mill's career and would give him like career advice as part of their uh, <laughs> court mandated meetings.
1: It's just so strange. So, as part of um, hiring an attorney to defend herself, uh, the allegation where um, Mills' team is saying that she told him to drop Rock Nation and sign with, um, I think his name is Charles Alston, who is a Philadelphia area uh, talent representative. Mm-hmm. Uh, they released the transcript from that court supervised meeting, and it turns out that she was not the person who was trying to get him to drop Rock Nation, and instead it was his uh, probation officer. Oh. Um, but the idea that this judge, an officer of the court, would be so entangled in the life of a person that appears before her court. Like, not even all that often. I mean, yes, maybe more often than some, but really, like, it's just it's just lunacy.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think, I don't know, on the one hand, there seems to be, based, again, on the facts that we, we as the public know, um, it does seem like this sentence is completely inappropriate although i would note whatever whatever is going on with the judge the sentence was apparently recommended by the then uh the then da and meek mill's probation officer so like it's a systemic issue (laughs) if anything this wasn't just this i mean i suppose the judge could have said i don't suppose the judge certainly could have said like no i'm not gonna yeah Um, Enforce this. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Meek Mill has been, you know, coming before her for 12 years at this point, and um, she had apparently made comments to him that I've given you break after break after break, and and throwing it back in my face now. None of which is, uh, you know, judges are humans, and uh, so probably she shouldn't be letting her personal frustration with Meek Mill drive her decision making, but, you know, at, at the same time, point. she's been telling him, this is this is what's expected of you, you gotta meet these standards, um, and I, I will say that I feel like some of the language that his attorneys are using is kind of coded sexist language about how she's stalking him, and she's in Infatuated with him and it's like maybe she's just doing her job maybe she's also a crazy person who is trying to ruin his life like you know i'm envisioning now the woman from the hand that rocks the cradle but maybe that's all true um But I do think uh, setting aside whatever is going on with this judge, like there's clearly a systemic problem when a person who is convicted of a nonviolent crime when they were 18 freaking years old is stuck on probation Mm -hmm. for 10 years and manages to get thrown back into jail for four years for what's effectively a moving violation on a vehicle. Yeah. That's it's crazy and that shouldn't have happened. And, you know, nobody, um, I don't know if I had gotten in trouble when I was 18, and then had to stay completely on the straight and narrow without making a single mistake, while a lot of people are watching out for me to screw up. Well, who could who could do that?
1: Yeah, but I mean, it it would be one thing if you like knocked over a liquor store. Well, yes, but he yeah. literally was popping wheelies in a park in New York. Yeah, like, because the charges about fighting in the St. Louis airport were dropped? Yeah, yeah. like, <laughs> that's yeah. yeah. It's, um, um, and wh-
0: I mean, I also question, I don't know, I'm maybe there's a procedural issue. Well, taking a step back to the thing that got his probation extended, him leaving the state to perform, um, I guess his probation must have started running when he got released from jail after the gun um, gun crime conviction which would explain why he had almost gotten off probation and then was still on it again. But, like, why do most people get sent back to jail for five months for violating, like, the geographical restrictions on your probation? That seems crazy. Mm -hmm. And there is a situation where the judge, um, Judge Brinkley, used that as an excuse to double his probation um, period, which, um, yeah, I mean... (sighs) He's, on, he's been on probation, what, f- uh, 10 times longer than he was in prison for the <laughs> original crime. Like, this is crazy. And, uh, I don't know, 18-year-olds screw up. This It feels like, to me, um, based on the way this, this story has been reported, like, he made a very bad decision when he was a kid and has never had an opportunity to get a fresh start. And despite all of his professional success, like, it kind of doesn't matter. And that's just a sad statement on our legal system i think
1: yeah um and yeah it just is like yeah it just really is (laughs) like i don't i can't i don't even know where to start i'm not even going to bother to start because i can't
0: but it's also i guess i would also note that when you see i don't know if this is just an inherent flaw in our legal system but you've got the highest executive in the state the highest executive Yes, um, on the kind of prosecutorial side in the uh, in the city, in the city. Um, saying that like this is wrong. We should let this guy out of jail, yeah. and one person can stand in the way of that when you have people who would appear to have more power than her. Um, I don't know if that's good or bad. I think it's maybe it depends. Can the governor pardon him? I guess yeah, yeah. Why not? But. Can he commute his sentence and let him out? I mean, that's what President Obama did with Chelsea Manning, right? Yeah. So why not? Yeah. Maybe he's trying to let the local system play out and will eventually step in if he has to, but um. Yeah, it's um yeah, it's just so weird.
1: It's so weird.
0: But I oh sorry, go ahead. No,
1: that's right. I'm just the whole judge thing. So weird.
0: Yeah, it really um sort of similar to the Stanford swimmer. Case, um, like the idea of a judge run amok, um, that you know one person can have such a defining um, impact on a particular case for better or worse. Um, I guess is just a, it's just the way our structure is, but it's a little troubling when you see results like this. Yes. if he'd been before a different judge, who knows what would have happened.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm a little leery about I'm not saying that our judiciary is infallible because it certainly is. Sure. But at this particular point in our nation's history, I feel like that's really the only branch that's standing up for what is actually right and about like American values and things like that. So I'm like
0: uh, Yeah, I think I guess we can't let uh, a couple of bad actors Totally upend the system, but um, when we get to a place where we can have a, uh, we have less acute concerns about the loss of our democracy and a, a march towards authoritarianism, mm-hmm. then this is um, something I feel it should be uh, a discussion point. Yeah.
1: Oh no, no, That's <laughs> total truth. Um, so yeah, so he's still in prison, and it doesn't look like there's any. W- Unless his sentence is commuted. Um, But he's getting out anytime soon. I don't know if the district attorney can. Re bring this up, re bring this up. That's a super technical legal
0: term. <laughs> um, I my understanding is that his attorneys have moved to have Co- Brinkley be- recuse mm-hmm. from the case. Well, they've asked her to recuse herself, which they, um, I believe his attorney Joe Takapina has said is just a waste of paper, but they kind of have to do it. Um, I, I sort of doubt that the DA would. Um, like join in that request but may you know uh, some things that lawyers will do to show kind of tacit support for their um, opposition is to like we won't oppose this Um, so
1: which is why he came out so that he's unopposed to him being released and on bail
0: um, so there's that Um, Mm -hmm. it would seem like a really strange exercise of judicial discretion, I guess, for her to, if there's a reason for her to reconsider this, Mm -hmm. um, to insist that he stay in prison against the advice of, um, or against the recommendation of the district attorney and um, inconsistent with the wishes of the defendant. I would note um, all as part of this that um, judges in Pennsylvania are elected so she may think she has some other um, constituency to be answering to, which might be leading her to act in the way that she is. Not that that justifies it, but um, it's just another consideration, which is probably why judges shouldn't be elected. I but was
1: going to say, it might explain some of the lunacy, but...
0: Yeah. But at the same time, with appointed judges, they're appointed by politicians, yeah. so I don't know that that makes it all that much better, but mm-hmm. at least it's not as... I don't know, blatantly political. Well,
1: I for me, some of it is like I don't know if you've ever noticed, but people who run for um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, positions on the bench in California yeah. or in San Francisco, especially, they run up unopposed. Like no one gives a shit about those elections.
0: No, you know, they should I mean,
1: They should, but it's not Yeah, I mean, no one, no one cares about who's running for this particular bench. It's not, it's not glamorous like some other. You know, city council position or county sheriff or whatever.
0: Yeah, I do think, um, regardless of who you vote for, although I'm sure people who listen to this have gleaned who Je- uh, Genevieve and I would largely vote for. Um, <laughs> Getting out and voting in local elections because it is these local judges, local prosecutors um, are the folks who are setting the rules that are most likely to impact your day-to-day life and the lives Mm -hmm. of your fellow community members. Um, So making sure you know what their positions are and um, what kind of policies they support is really important. So um, be educated citizens and, uh, and go out and vote. Yep. Otherwise, you end up with people like Judge Brinkley, who <laughs> st- apparently stalks criminals, <laughs> or maybe not. Who knows? It's...
1: Yeah, who knows? Um, so, that's Meek Mill. We had promised that we were going to be talking about him for ages, and yes, yay, and we finally did it. Yeah, we
0: did. <laughs> I feel like we could have done a little more research, so sorry, folks. You've been waiting, that, waiting for that for a long time, but... Here we are. <laughs>
1: um, so our last big story is about Katy Perry. And this story probably caught people's eyes a few weeks ago when one of the nuns in Who is in a legal battle with Katy Perry died in the courtroom or died like outside the courtroom? She had a heart attack. She was like ninety something years old, to be fair. But uh, just Katy Perry
0: didn't kill a nun.
1: (laughs) Well, I'm sure the nun would disagree. Sure. So uh, just to back up and give you the background on this, um, there is a piece of property. It is uh, a very lovely property in.
0: Uh, Los Feliz.
1: In Los Angeles, it's a breathtaking Mediterranean-style villa perched on eight acres on Tony Hilltops. Ooh. Yes. With a fountain, a pool, and commanding views of the San Gabriel Valley. So...
0: How the hell are some nuns living up in this place? This is crazy.
1: (laughs) So the property was built in 19... The buildings on the property were built in 1927. The Sisters of the... I want to say... What are they? Um... The, I'm the order, sure not
0: the Little Sisters of the Poor. <laughs> no,
1: the order of the Sisters of the Most Holy and Immaculate Heart of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Whoa! Pulled their monies together in about the nineteen early nineteen seventies and bought this property from the then owner for like six hundred thousand dollars. They pulled the money that they earned being educators in the Los Angeles area and bought this property for probably well, it sounds like peanuts because it was six hundred thousand dollars, eight yeah. acres in LA. Um, so they have used this as like their spiritual home for the last forty-six years. Um, there are there were uh, five nuns left of this order, and there has been a dispute about who actually owns the or owns the property, whether it's owned by the sisters or it's owned by the Archdiocese of Los Angeles. Um, At some point, there was a decision made that the property would be sold, and according to the archdiocese, they had the support of the majority of the nuns to sell the property, which they did, and they sold it to Katy Perry for like $8 million cash, um, Two nuns, um, Sister Rita... um, And Catherine Rose have said that they are the rightful owners of the property and they did not want the property going to Katy Perry and instead like turned around and tried to sell it, tried to sell it to Dana Hollister, who is a restaurateur in Los Angeles. She's going to turn it into a boutique hotel. So, um, yeah, so there's been a lot of back and forth and a lot of legal action. There was... um, a jury trial and the jury found against Hollister and said that, you know, it was the archbishop or the archdiocese had the right to sell it. Um, and there's been some weird stuff about whether or not the archdiocese had the okay to sell it because selling property over $7.5 million requires the okay from the Vatican. Um, and maybe they didn't get the official stamp, but I think it's kind of interesting. Sister Rita, who you know, as one of the two nuns who were opposed to selling it to Katy Perry has basically come out and said, like, I don't really like Katy Perry. I don't think she could, she should always get what she wants. And like, that's why we're fighting this. Like we've seen her videos and we don't agree with her viewpoints on things. And so that's why we're going to sell it to this other lady. who's going to turn it into a hotel. Like,
0: Yeah, that seems really like flimsy uh, rationale to undo this real estate deal. I, and I, I was not sure I understand what the argument is that the archdiocese actually owns the property. Is it that they had to contribute to the upkeep of the place, or is it the idea that like all the nuns' property is actually property of the archdiocese? So
1: there might be an argument that the nuns' property would be property of the archdiocese, but I think that um, the majority the three other nuns said uh-huh. that, like, might have said. That oh, the archdiocese yeah. can mm-hmm.
0: do what they can, want with yes. it. Yes,
1: because the, most of the nuns don't actually live on this property anymore. It's full of stairs. It's on a hill. And they're, and they're much, oldsters. Yes, they're oldsters, <laughs> and they can't get around. The archdiocese actually pays for uh, rent and a, uh, a housekeeper and, um, and the bills for the nuns you know, where they oh, live wow. now because a lot of them live in care homes because they're in their 80s and 90s.
0: Yeah. Um, yikes. Well, it's sad that that lady died in court.
1: Yeah, I'm uh-huh. trying to find her name because I want to be able to um, pay proper tribute to <laughs> her.
0: To the obstructionist nun who <laughs> wants to make sure katie perry doesn't always get what she wants even though she paid eight million dollars in cash yeah
1: for it. uh sister Catherine rose holtzman collapsed and died during a court proceeding in downtown la yikes yes um she was 80. sorry i thought she was 90. she was 80. yeah i don't know so it you know it's an ongoing legal saga mm-hmm. it don't, I don't know who is going to end up with it because Sister Rita, the living mm-hmm. um, person who opposes this, she set up a GoFundMe page to help pay for um, her legal fees in trying to oppose the archdiocese, and she's afraid that the archbishop is going to retaliate against her because she's being such a vocal <laughs> member in opposition. I mean,
0: I do I don't know. So, I guess are the setting aside the sort of uh, salacious nature of this whole, the the claims in the dead nun, I guess the issues are one, did the archdiocese have the right to sell this, period? Two, did the archdiocese do everything it was supposed to to effectuate the sale if Mm -hmm. it did have the right to sell it? Um, And if the answer to those two questions are, yes, then it would seem like Katy Perry should win. Mm -hmm. If the answer to the first question is yes, and the answer to the second question is no, you'd think they would just need to then get the... They would still be the ones who have the right to sell it, so they'll go get the Vatican to sign off Mm -hmm. on it and move forward. Um, But if the Archdiocese never had the right to sell it in the first place, then I guess the question becomes is the sale to Dana Hollister effective? And my understanding is that the terms of that sale were kind of so squishy as to not be a real agreement. Yes,
1: so uh, it was a jury trial that was held last year and the jury basically found that um, Hollister had taken advantage of the elderly nuns, which Sister Rita denied, uh, the nun signed the property over to Hollister for a payment of $44,000, and Hollister agreed to pay $9.9 9 million over the next three years, but the archdiocese argued successfully that the promissory note was non-binding and therefore fraudulent.
0: $44,000 for a $10 million property.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. How did she think she was going to get away with that? I'm not really sure. Uh, Sister Rita said the jury never heard their story and she would have liked to have heard that she would like to have been able to tell that story. Why? But I don't know why. Why not? Yeah, because I mean, Dana Hollister was a party involved. I don't know why she wouldn't have chucked the nuns up on the stand and said, yeah. I didn't take advantage of them. They will very Look, willy- they're great. <laughs> yes. Like, they they saw my vision for this boutique hotel, and they loved it. I mean, like, what was to stop them from telling their side of the story? That seems very fishy. That does.
0: It's a lot of... I feel like we are asking more questions than we're answering this week, but uh, it's just a lot of food for thought.
1: (laughs) I know. Sometimes I think that, like, that's problematic because... We, the stories obviously don't give us enough information to answer the questions that we have, right. but that's the whole point of this podcast, right? It, it is. To dive a little deeper into, and, and to talk about those issues.
0: I wonder if there are transcripts from this trial and we could, although I guess if they never, if they, if the attorneys made the strategic choice not to call the nuns, um, Unless the attorneys would talk to us, which they probably won't because it would be a violation of all kinds of rules. Um, <laughs> we'll never really know why they didn't yeah. get to tell their story. And it sounds like Sister Rita didn't have a good explanation for it either. So No,
1: but I mean, Sister Rita is talking to anybody who wants to talk to her. I mean, we could always try to talk to Sister Rita. Oh, we but she should give Sister Rita a call. Yes, because she gave an exclusive interview to the Daily Beast. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. Yep. To Jason McGann. Yeah, um, just wasn't that long ago. It was like three days ago. Oh,
0: yeah. All right. Well, Sister Ree is talking, so uh, if we can yeah. get some more information from her, we will be <laughs> sure to share it with you, our, our yes. valued listeners. So
1: during the interview, uh, the reporter writes that her phone was just ringing off the hook, and she is not taking calls.
0: Oh so, shit. Yes. Okay. Yeah. There was that plan. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, okay. So moving on to our three-minute warning. Um, I'm trying to think, there was a couple of things that happened. Like Alden Smith got arrested again, but we aren't oh, going to yeah. spend that much time on him.
0: The what I did think was interesting, and I, this seems to be a r- issue with the CBA, um, with the NFL CBA, is that you have a guy who is clearly seems clearly in trouble Mm -hmm. and probably would benefit from a structure of folks who support him Mm -hmm. and are trying to help him through his issues. But under the terms of the CBA and his, well, under the terms of his suspension, which I think are largely driven by the CBA, he's not allowed to have any contact with team officials. Mm -hmm. Um, So I believe it was Jack Del Rio, former coach of the Oakland Raiders, came out and said, you know, it's a real it's really a pity and kind of troubling that no one from the Raiders can help him Mm -hmm. because we're not allowed to. Um, And, you know, I think Del Rio was speaking as sort of an interested observer because he's not with the team anymore, but that is, I wonder, it's not an economic issue, so maybe they won't give a shit about it, but discipline, I think is going to be a big topic of their next negotiation given everything that's gone on with um, the commissioner and I do wonder if there's a way to draw a better line to say you know you can't be playing with the team you can't have contact in that way Mm -hmm. but that the team can still offer supportive services to help people get back on their feet
1: yeah no I think that's that's completely fair to say because most of the time suspension is supposed Mm -hmm. to be disciplinary in nature like the two parties you're just you don't get to have any of the benefits. Right of of having this right. relationship, because bad boy, you know, stay away, yeah. but in situations like this where you're not being suspended for something that was clearly taking place on the field, this is things that are happening in your private life, and it's very clear that your personal life is kind of spinning out of control, yeah. like you might actually need the structure and the benefits of having someone from you know your friends at least um, yeah. you know reach out to you, but I think you probably. There should be some exceptions where if you're reaching out to your teammate as a friend, you should still be able to do that. I don't know that things are monitored that closely that you can't.
0: Right. And I think it's more, um, I think what Del Rio was speaking to was more the uh, infrastructure that the the team could offer, like coaches reaching out. Um, you know, maybe giving him a place to like show up and you know getting him assistance. Yeah. I, I'm assuming, although I don't know, um, that he could access the league substance abuse um, uh, uh, assistance program. but I, I just wonder if that's kind of like a faceless organization, whereas people who have worked with him and care about him, um, if that would be more help. I think though to your point, I'm not sure that the NFL monitors it in that way.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm just thinking about it from our perspective, like, would we want to have our clients be the support network for their employees who should clearly be getting help elsewhere? Like, I don't. Here's a program that we think that you should do. We're not requiring you to do it, but we think you need help because at some point, like, I'm just your employer. I'm not your mom. Right. I'm not your dad, and I'm not like your favorite uncle. I'm uh, right. I mean, yeah. So I get the I get the empathy part. I get the um, of course you want a a well and happy employee because then they're productive mm-hmm. at work. But at the same time, it's like where's the line that you draw that like this is not a personal relationship. This is a professional one, right?
0: Right. And maybe, I mean, again, uh, Jack Dorrio was a coach. Mm -hmm. And so he may view his role in players' lives and the roles of coaches in players' lives differently than like a typical employer-employee relationship. But I think to your point, like it is a business. And at some point, you know, you have to sort yourself out and we can, as an employer, you can offer resources to help people. mm -hmm. And I don't think those are being denied to Alden Smith, it's more the, um, uh, being in contact with yeah. folks. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't even know. I guess you could check people's telephone records, but how they would even figure out that he has been talking to his teammates. Yeah. I
1: mean, that gets into weird, like fourth amendment things, right. and, like first amendment things and, and all sorts of, yeah, that just gets into weirdness. But I think like along those lines, um, Jonathan Martin was recently, was he arrested or just detained?
0: Um, I think he was probably arrested. I
1: believe he was arrested. So Jonathan Martin, um, for many of you who yes, probably... Yes, custody. <laughs> who don't remember, was a football player who played at Stanford, um, ended up bouncing around the league for a little bit. Um, I think he was a highly touted... Um, player coming out of Stanford, mm-hmm. but he ended up on the Miami Dolphins where there was a situation between he and a few other teammates chief among them, Richie incognito, who I believe
0: is just a giant douchey bully, but um, disgusting pig man yeah. who should have been run out of the league. Yeah. Based on and his he's, behavior. Still
1: work. he's still work. Yeah, think still plays
0: for the bills now.
1: So um, there were allegations of bullying, um, and, uh, just think, think
0: homophobic and racist yes. comments mm-hmm. by in particular incognito, but I don't think it was and just another, him. No, it
1: was uh, like uh, dolphins, like facility members or mm-hmm. like, so Martin was upset on behalf of other people who are being bullied mm-hmm. by, um, incognito, but Martin left the team and mm-hmm. that turned into kind of a big deal because I think that might be one of the first times that the reason that someone left a team was due to like essentially mental illness as right. opposed to a physical injury. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was an investigation, and Incognito was suspended. He was. For a while. Yeah. Um, but then he's obviously back and playing. And Martin bounced around a little more trying to find a home, but I think mm-hmm. that that probably followed him. Um, I think Jim Harbaugh gave him a shot with the 49ers when Jim, Jim or John, I can't remember. Jim, Jim.
0: John is a Baltimore. Yeah, Uh,
1: when he was the coach of the 49ers because because Martin played for him while he was at Stanford. Uh, But he left the league um, a few years ago and went back to Stanford, got his degree, and then tried to become a motivational speaker. But uh, he had an episode recently on instagram where he basically called out incognito and marquis pouncy by name uh had like pictures of firearms and then also called out his high school harvard westlake
0: yes in in los Los angeles Angeles.
1: um and basically you know he didn't come out and it was an indirect threat
0: uh, as how the police i believe phrased Mm -hmm. it um there was a Uh, caption on an Instagram photo um, with uh, the photo was an image of guns surrounded an image of a gun surrounded by bullets and it was captioned when you're a bully victim and a coward your options are suicide or revenge Mm
1: -hmm. so uh, the school was locked down for a day, The was shut down the very next day, mm-hmm. and then he, um, Mr. Martin, was then placed in custody. I think he is now getting help. Um,
0: yeah, and the, um, to kind of follow up on Genevieve's earlier comment, the Instagram post w- included the hashtags, hashtag Harvard Westlake, hashtag Miami Dolphins, and did tag... Um, richie incognito and it says mike Pouncy. oh not marquise yeah sorry sorry marquise i didn't
1: mean to drag you into this um and marquise. two
0: yeah. other folks james dunleavy and tj taylor whose names don't ring bells for me but perhaps they were either high school classmates or um teammates of jonathan martin mm-hmm. who he was um attempting to send a yeah, scary two message s- yeah, to two high school
1: classmates
0: um
1: yeah so um <sighs> So, I I mean, I'm assuming that the help that he's getting now is not through the League, right? I would, yeah,
0: I would assume so.
1: Um, but it is a, a situation where, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, obviously, um, if Mr. Martin were contemplating thoughts of suicide or homicide, he should really be um, getting the, the help that he is um, really, really needing. Um, but I think that it's... I think that it is too bad that in a situation where, obviously, Jonathan Martin, um, you know, had a really difficult time in Miami instead of being supported by not only his organization or the league, um, he felt that he didn't have a place there, yet there's a place for fucking awful people like Richie Incognito. Yeah.
0: Um, And I do, I think it's interesting... Now, acknowledging the um, obvious and less obvious differences between Jonathan Martin and Kevin Love, but to be five years out from um, what happened to to Jonathan... Martin, um, yeah, and see that, you know, Kevin Love is in a position where he can write, you know, a player's, or have written for him a uh, Player's Tribune. might have written it. We don't know. Aren't they as told-bys, a lot of them, or Uh, do they? Anyway, that's not totally relevant to what I was, uh, was saying, but, uh but you know, Kevin Love can come out publicly talking about his anxiety attacks and dealing with anxiety and, you know, other athletes can come forward and talk about their, um, uh, dealing with being depressed and it's not seen as, uh, it's, it's, I think it is continues to be stigmatized, but less so. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, I think it, it seems like, I'm not a psychologist and I've, I don't know Jonathan Martin, it seems like his uh, depression and anxiety are things he's been dealing with since middle school, mm-hmm. I should say. It doesn't seem that way. That's what he has shared with his parents in text messages that were part of uh, the 144 um, page investigation into what happened to him when he was with the Dolphins. Um, so these are problems that he probably should have been getting help for a long time ago and... Um, he has a has a r- tough road ahead of him, but to see more openness in professional sports leagues about talking about mental illness, um, I think is can only be considered a good thing.
1: Yeah, um, and just to um, and just to sort of reiterate, like basketball has not always been that welcoming of people with social anxiety disorders because Royce White. Um, yep. Who tried to play for the Houston Rockets?
0: Yes, he was out of Iowa State, right? I remember him when he played in college. Yeah. Um, so they
1: had some difficulties accommodating the the restrictions that he had because um, he
0: couldn't fly. Right. Yeah. That was his yeah biggest issue. That was his
1: yeah that was his biggest issue. Um, and where you have you know he tried sp- to play for the Celtics too. Oh yeah. Um,
0: also not relevant to his mental health. but um,
1: uh, Yeah, so that, that episode didn't happen that long ago, so there has been a, a bit of a change in terms of how people um, respond
0: to athletes with um, mental health issues. Um, and the NHL, uh, oh God, it was a few summers ago, suffered a, well, Lee we didn't, be, it's players. Um, there were a series of players, um, Wade Belak, Rick Ripon and um, Derek Bougard um, Derek Bougard they think may have been an accidental overdose, but Wade Belak and Rick Ripon um, both committed suicide oh. and um, they were known as kind of tough guys fighters. Um, Rick Ripon had suffered from depression CT? Um, perhaps I don't know that their brains were analyzed but all of that is to say that the NHL um, or NHL players have partnered with um, Bell Canada, which is one of the biggest phone companies up in Canada, um, for a day that supports mental health awareness. Um, they use the hashtag Bell Let's Talk on social media, um, but it's a. it seems to be, I think there are a lot of concerns about the way that the Bell Let's Talk program is rolled out, but all of that is to say that Um, and that league people are, uh, do seem to be talking more about, um, depression and mental illness because, you know, their friends are dead now, um, and left behind, um, families and it's a real, it was a real tough summer, I think, for the NHL kind of having to grapple with that. They are still fighting their concussion lawsuit and pretending like (laughs) the game doesn't cause severe brain trauma, but, um you know, at least on a going-forward basis if their players can feel more comfortable talking about what's wrong. Hopefully they won't have another um, rash of deaths like they did. Yeah, that's so,
1: really tough. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, well, we just wish Jonathan Martin well. Um, final note on that is that uh, for Kevin Love's Players' Tribune article, oh. it does not include it as-told-to, oh, okay. so it looks like he penned it. But I do, I mean... It's a really well-written article, and, it's, mm-hmm. and it does describe what it feels like to have an anxiety disorder like really very accurately, so for anyone who hasn't read it, please do. Um, I think we want to end on a cheery note today because like what we've been talking about is just some really depressing shit. So let's talk about Chevy Chase getting beat up. Yay. (laughs) Um, the story is kind of crazy, but
0: yeah. So Chevy Chase, who is a, uh, 74 year old man. Um, got into a had a road rage incident after a 22-year-old man cut him off um, while they were driving in Long Island. Um, and he thought that his, apparently Chase thought that his truck had been damaged. Um, so they pulled over. Chase and the guy who uh, was the other driver started fighting. Um, and then apparently the 22-year-old kicked Chevy Chase in the shoulder that's because
1: I think Chevy Chase actually like like oh. threw the window into the guy's car.
0: Oh, I had truck. this vision of like a Jean Claude Van Damme style like roundhouse. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. no? Th- oh, that's disappointing. I think
1: well. yeah, no, I think I read somewhere where Chase was like trying to get into his car
0: through the window,
1: oh. and he might have just kicked up, which is still pretty flexible
0: of him. But yeah, yeah. I think I probably would have just driven away with Chevy Chase hanging out of my window. Which yeah, that's that would have been a much either. worse result. I suspect. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so the uh, the other driver said that he kicked Chase in self-defense, claimed the comedian was trying to punch him. Ca- uh, Chevy Chase said that a passenger inside the car gre- greeted him with an extended middle finger, <laughs> um, and Chase shouted at them, If I were a lot younger, I'd bust your nose. Of course, that's... What is it with old men threatening to beat each other up recently? I don't know. <laughs> it's become a thing. Um, but anyway, the the other driver was given a ticket for second-degree harassment and was supposed to be back in court earlier this month um, when we were doing research for this. All that came up was the story about him kicking Chevy Chase, not what happened with the court date. So
1: Yeah, so the story that I read was that he, um, he was trying to punch him, like tried to get into the car to punch him. So that's when he kicked Cherry Chase and sent him flying, <laughs> as described in one article.
0: Um, I thought, How did he not get hit by a car? If I, if you got, you're pulled over on the side of the road, maybe it wasn't a busy,
1: Yeah. maybe, maybe it wasn't
0: busy. Enough. But if he kicked him and sent him flying, I would, I just have a vision of him ending up in like the roadway. Yeah. But it sounds like that's not what I happened. I don't know,
1: exit 10 near South Nyack, <laughs> if like we can maybe Google Maps to see.
0: I've driven by there for sure, but I can't picture it in my head right now.
1: Um... But I guess, like, there's also, um, there are also reports that, of course, Chase, who was yelling at the driver, this this driver was in the car with his girlfriend and maybe another couple, and Chevy Chase is screaming, do you know who the fuck I am? And then threatened to ruin their lives. You're from community, (laughs) where they hated you there, too. That's right. Um, yeah, so Chase took a swing at him first and then missed.
0: Um... I mean, Chevy Chase is a notoriously miserable, shitty person, so I'm not sure, I don't know who to believe. Um, yeah, me either. I, yeah, it's like, I,
1: because he doesn't, he hasn't been a very sympathetic person for a long time.
0: No, I feel like everyone he's worked with hates him, too. Yeah. Um, Does he have friends from his SNL days? I know know the people on Community hated him, Mm -hmm. which is why I'm really excited to watch the National Lampoon movie or the movie about National Lampoon Lampoon, Mm -hmm. in which Joel McHale, who (laughs) was on Community with Chevy Chase, plays Chevy Chase. Mm
1: -hmm. I saw a clip of Joel McHale playing Chevy Chase and I just I couldn't buy it, but it was
0: just a clip. So, okay, yeah, I
1: don't know. I, yeah,
0: it just... Donald Gleason work. does not look like himself in this film. I almost didn't recognize that it was him, oh, which yeah. is a real tragedy. <laughs> since he... Well, no, he's not our... He's not the mascot of the uh, of the pod, but he's a pod fave.
1: He's a pod fave. Um, had do you seen the... Is it the Lifetime doc- documentary and using air quotes about Aaron Hernandez? <gasps> no,
0: I have not, but um, I think I need to watch that and we should do uh, an episode where we a talk about yeah. it. Um, but for those of you who don't know what the hell we're talking about, there was a pseudo documentary done on lifetime. So, you know, good for Christmas movies (laughs) and some like true crime movies. Don't know that that translates to like, uh, news film. I don't know. Um, but, uh, it was about the Aaron Hernandez story and why it is that he actually killed a bunch of people and then killed himself. Um, quite salacious from what i've heard uh but yeah i will watch it when you talk about it our next
1: okay pod. we i only mentioned it because you know as the mascot of our podcast the pod
0: father mm-hmm. rest in peace aaron <laughs> <laughs>
1: um so that's it from us this week we hope to be back with you on a more regular
0: basis going forward um, thanks for hanging in there with us and we will be back with you soon. Oh, and always, as always, if you want to get in touch with us, you can tweet at us, um, or follow us on Twitter or Instagram at UFR BG. You can check out our website underfurtherreview-bg.com or, um, email us at underfurtherreview.bg at gmail.com. Hope to hear from you and thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.